morning, everybody, and welcome to the Jewish Reaction, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I want to thank Nachum for the great introduction and leading into the show. You can catch us here on the Jewish Reaction every week, Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 on NachumSiegel.com. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad, and I'll be with you for the next hour or so um, as we take a little uh, serious look at Purim, at the celebration of the holiday of Purim. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Eli Sheva Diamond, who those of you who listened last week remember, uh, Eli Sheva is the director of the eating disorder program at Chemed in Lakewood, New Jersey, and an expert in addiction. And we're going to be speaking about the issues related to alcohol uh, and the effects that it can have on the body and the best way to go about speaking to your children um, about the dangers of alcohol, specifically related uh, to the Jewish community and PERM overall. Uh, But, of course, this is good advice to have uh, on an ongoing basis. Uh, Those of you who were listening last week know that Elisheva Diamond um, is currently a doctoral candidate at LIU uh, in Brooklyn and has been working on this um, on the issue of addiction in the Jewish community uh, for a number of years. Uh, and she was also the executive producer of the film Hungry to be Heard, which uh, discusses eating disorders within the Jewish community. Uh, but it's obviously certainly a topic to talk about, something that might not be spoken about often, uh, but something that is definitely important to speak uh, with yourselves about and with your children in preparation for next Sunday. Uh, for Purim, which is on March 16th this year. Uh, so please keep it where it is, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Just before we get into it, um, all of our music today is going to be played from Aaron Rezel, who was chosen by um, Eli Sheva. So I want to thank her for those selections. And let's kick it off, and then we'll jump right into the conversation. <laughs> Habetna Hashamaima was for a cochavim. Let's 
פרצת ימה וכן מהצפונה בנגבה פרצת ימה וכן מהצפונה בנגבה אם תוכל מדרגון סימטה בצפת, הזמינני אדם ללון אצלו, ולא שיערתי שכבר למחרת, יהיה רחון על סטנדר, לומד גמרא עם יהושע, מנסה להביא את הפשט. שכרתי חדר לחודשיים, הכל קרה בבת אחת. פותח את הדלת, עומד מולי ראש הישיבה, איזה חן לו, איזה מבט. תמיד הייתה לי אהבה, אמרתי לו, יראה זה מה שחסר לדור שלנו קצת. במקום לנסוע להודיעו, באתי לכאן אני מחפש מהאגו שלי נפלט. גם פה אפשר להסתובב עם שאוואל ולראות איך הזמן עובר לאט. לא ידעתי מה מושך אותי, או לאן הכל מוביל. הרגשתי אור שמשהו טוב מתחיל, שונה מן הרגיל. מוזך העלה מקבל כנפיים, איך להסביר את התחושה? אולי זה מה שהתכוון רבנו נחמן כשאמר, הוא אמר, שאני הולך בדרך חדשה. בדרך חדשה שעדיין לא הלך בו אדם מעולם. ואף על פי, אף על פי שהיא דרך ישנה מאוד. אף על פי, אף על פי כן, היא חדשה לגמרי. לפני הנץ, טובלים בצאנז אחרי הקפה, נץ באבואב, אחד עם גלביה מחלק לך ביסקוויטים וכוסטט, משם בין הסמטאות והרפל הישיבה, אלה שבילי נהר דעה. והכשרנו ארבעים פעם, לרנן טוירייז, בסר דנואל הבבא, עולם הבא, איזה הגות אזח, לרנן טוירייז, איזה ללמוד תורה זה מוסירות נפש, צריך להחדיר אותה ללב. היא כמו אישה, הרב אמר, תעזבן היום, יומיים היא תיעלב. זה החדר כושר של המוח היהודי, צועקים אותה בקולי קולות. נזכר באקדמיה, שכחתי ללחוש פעם, איזה פרצוף עשו לי הספרניות. <laughs> לא ידע 
הלכתי ממושך אותי, או לאן הכל מוביל? הרגשתי אור שמשהו טוב מתחיל, שונה מן הרגיל, כמו זחל המקבל כנפיים, איך להסביר את התחושה? אולי זה מה שהתכוון רבנו נחמן כשאמר, הוא אמר, שאני הולך בדרך חדשה. בדרך חדשה שעדיין לא הלך פה אדם מעולם. ואף על פי, אף על פי שהיא דרך ישנה מאוד. ואף על פי, אף על פי כן, חדשה לגמרי. בין הארבעים לוקחים אותי, בית ישן, אליהו על השפה, מחזיק חליל ביד, הוא לא מנגן, ניגון אצלו זה כמו נבואה, לא כפייה, לא החלטה, מילת המפתח פה בצפת, נא להכיר זרימה. אבל כשזה בא הוא זורק אותך ישר להיכל הנגינה! כולי מוקסם אחרי שנים של קורסים והרבה קפיטריה תרבות של עוד תואר ועוד הישג זה הגיע אתי לרמת ההיסטריה אליה תפס אותי בחצר ובדיוק קשר את החמור שלו ליד הכניסה את מה שלמדת שם שים בצד הוא אמר תגלה את המעיין שלך ומה למדתי שם? נסה להיות תמיד בשמחה מאין יבוא עזרי, זו לא שאלה, להיות עין זה עבודה לא פשוטה. אין יאוש, צעק רבינו, גם אני אל תוך הבאדי, שענה לי בקולי שלי, הבנתי אז עד כמה שאני לא לבדי. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nacham Siegel Network, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad. And of course, we are less than two weeks away from Purim. Uh, obviously, this year with two Adars, we look forward to that two weeks away, which means that we are that much closer to Pesach. Uh, joining me today on the Jewish Reaction once again is... Eli Sheva Diamond, who is the director of the eating disorder program at Chemed in Lakewood, New Jersey, and also has expertise in dealing with uh, addictions after having done an externship at the Addictions Institute at St. Luke's. Uh, Eli Sheva, welcome back to the Jewish Reaction. Thank you. Uh, so before we get into talking about addictions and, dr- and drinking and alcohol and discussing that around the Jewish community and Purim specifically, um, you and I have been in touch for the last few days, and you've had a heck of a little trip, uh, or lack thereof, maybe over the weekend. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about just where you are now and what has been going on? I'm talking to you from Seattle, Washington, where I have come after my flight from Portland, Oregon was canceled, and the best that they could do for me was getting me out on Wednesday. So if I was able to come over to Seattle, then I could get out a little bit earlier. So here I am. So I took the lemons experience of having a canceled flight and turned it into lemonade of a beautiful scenic train ride up the um, Pacific Northwest Coast. Well, Yishev, so. lucky for you that today is beautiful in Seattle as opposed to yesterday uh, when it was pretty rainy. So that actually worked out well for you. Got to find the positive in everything you do, right? 
Absolutely. So the Pacific Northwest is quite beautiful, but its reputation as a place of rain and fog is well deserved. <laughs> I can't believe why. I don't know. I can't imagine why it has that reputation. <laughs> I don't know, but I recommend to people who haven't been out to this part of the world, it's really beautiful. Yeah, I've actually never been. I've been to L.A., but that's that's it for me as far as uh, going farther west than Denver, Colorado. L.A. is gorgeous, but it is really different, um, and the culture here is pretty different as well. People are so friendly. You know, if you're a New Yorker and you're used to people being in New York, you're kind of wondering, like, when people are really nice to you, oh, what, what's their ulterior motive? What do they want from me? And you have to remember that not everyone's a New Yorker, and some people are just <laughs> really that just friendly and nice. nice. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a great story. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were actually in Cincinnati. Um, and my daughter fell asleep in the car, so we pulled it. We were hungry, so we pulled into a gas station just to get a soda and a bag of chips or something. And the person in front of me in line in this gas station was also buying, he was buying a bag of pretzels, and he was talking to the lady behind the counter about how amazing these brand new pretzels were, on and on and on. So I, he saw me look over to see what he was buying, and he offered to buy a bag of pretzels for me. That's lovely. And that, that just would never happen in New York because yeah, they're just nicer out of town. I don't even know if nicer is the right word, but out of town is a different mentality. Well, when I was in Portland, I had gone to the drive through Starbucks with my friend who we were staying with in Portland. And she said the last time she had been in the drive through when she got there to pay her bill, the guy told her the person in front of her in line had paid the bill, so she wanted to pay it for the guy behind her. That There had been this whole long chain where someone had started where he wanted to start a chain of kindness or at least just do an act of kindness. So he bought, he paid for the bill for the person behind her, him. And it had been going on for quite a few cars. And my friend said she realized afterwards that, like, she had been buying two coffees. And she said, she's like, oh, I said yes, but I didn't ask, like, what the person behind me had purchased. <laughs> what if they were buying, like, 35 <laughs> <laughs> She's like, it could have been a $25 bill. She's like, she said in the end it turned out to be a $5 bill. But I guess that's, you know, another form of Nas Evanishma. Well, there was a whole thing going on on Facebook uh, last week about, you know, doing a good deed uh, for someone else and then passing it forward. Did you see that? I did. I have yet to be called out by anyone and, you know, nominated to do a good deed. Um, I guess I could just start one on my own, which would have been a lovely idea. <laughs> but as of yet, I haven't. Um, I like to think that I try to, you know, infuse my life with some good deeds now and then, but... Um, I don't know if that that's as true as I'd like it to be. We can all always do a little more, but I'm sure you're doing a great job of it. <laughs> um, all right, Alicia. Well, luckily, you've been rescheduled and you're able to get, to come back uh, to the New York area, and I'm sure everything will go as planned. I hope. <laughs> I hope. Um, you're listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. Uh, my name is Ellie Hagler, and of course, Perm is less than two weeks away now. It's actually scheduled for next Sunday, March 16th, is going to be uh, Purim. And I wanted to speak with Ellie Sheva, who's an expert in addictions, um, about uh, the, the conversation of drinking and alcohol and enjoying the Simcha of Purim. Um, you know, on that day, on next Sunday. Uh, Elisheva, just before we start talking a little bit about details, maybe give a little bit about your background and where alcohol and addiction falls into uh, your expertise. I have 
long been interested in um, many different issues facing the Jewish community and society at large, including eating disorders, but um, not just eating disorders, but all compulsive behavior, particularly those that have some kind of bodily component. So in addition to the eating disorder trainings that I've done, uh, I did um, an externship at the Addiction Institute at St. Luke's, and in addition to that, one of I did a one-year training that was a weekly class at the William Allenson White Institute with the Eating Disorder Addiction and Compulsive Behavior Service, and I'm continuing that in the monthly follow-up um, as well as having a biweekly supervision with Dr. Jean Petroselli, who is the director of the Eating Disorder Addiction Compulsive Service, or the EDCAS service at White, and um, a noted expert in the field of eating disorders and addictions. So, Elisheva, speaking a little bit in terms of alcohol, is alcohol itself addict? Does it contain addictive properties? Is it, is it more the the feeling or the relaxation that people think it brings on that is the addiction? Well, for some people, um, alcohol is quite addictive. It's not the same for everyone. Some people have a genetic predisposition where they will become addicted to alcohol. There's neural pathways that get involved, and for some people it's more strong, and for some people it's less strong. Um, I'm not going to get into all of the acetylaldehyde and the breakdown of alcohol in the body and what it does. Um, for some people, you know, through that process, they actually don't enjoy alcohol at all because they'll go straight to the hangover symptoms because of their way that their body processes alcohol. Other people will have a very different reaction and will be predisposed to becoming an alcoholic. There is some sort of a genetic component. There's also other components that can predispose someone to an addiction or to using alcohol or other addictive substances in order to self-medicate. While I was at the Addiction Institute, more than anything, what I saw was a lot of people who had previously undiagnosed mental illness and had been using these substances to self-medicate for their mental illness. And once they were properly diagnosed and properly medicated, it was much easier for them, not necessarily easy, but it was much easier for them to start working through um, giving up the addictive substances because they no longer needed it in the same way for the self-medication purposes. Mm -hmm. It's such a fascinating conversation. I think going back to what we were talking about last week a little bit uh, when we were discussing the the um, the presence of an eating disorder within the Jewish community. Same thing with alcohol. And alcohol actually is not, it's not a hidden presence. It's there. You see it all the time. You see it at Kiddush and Shul or, you know, in, in somebody's house. Everything is always not centered around, but there's always alcohol there. So it's definitely a different component and presence within the Jewish community. But I think alcohol abuse or underage drinking is certainly something that's hidden within the Jewish community. Have you found that as well in either in your research and or in your line of work? Um, there's definitely, you know, an issue in the Jewish community in terms of access to alcohol 
And, you know, it's something that you see at a kiddish and something you see at perm and something you see much more often. Some people say this is actually a good thing because it normalizes it and you can talk to your kids about it in a way that's normal. This is something we do in moderation. It's something we do to celebrate a simcha. It's not necessary for a simcha, but it can be used in this way. And it's something that only adults do. And you can have that conversation with your kids that some things are appropriate for adults and are not appropriate for children. So some people think that it's actually quite fine that there's alcohol that's available and present. Other people think that it's actually really problematic and it's setting people up um, for an early exposure to alcohol and setting them up to associate alcohol with happiness in a way that's not particularly healthy and really can create a lot of access for underage drinking. But isn't there something to the fact about, you know, exposing children to alcohol earlier um, as opposed to hiding it from them and then they find out about it and psychologically and cognitively they, they want it or they think that they want it or they want to try it as opposed to they've seen it, it's there, and it's just something else that's there the same way any other food or drink would be available at a kiddish, for example. kids are the same. So some kids um, will, you know, see it there and say, oh, okay, well, this isn't so exciting. It's not something that's forbidden. It's there all the time. Um, and other kids will, you know, have a different reaction where if it's there all the time, then it feels like something they want to be trying. Uh, a lot of it isn't just the fact of whether or not something's available. It's how you talk to your kids about it. Do you have it there and just let them figure it out what it means to them without having a conversation with them, or do you address things with them directly? So it's probably, you know, if somebody, if a parent chose to address it with their children directly, um, does it make sense to address it now, meaning specifically around perm time, or should it be not around perm time because it's much more uh, present around this time of year, or does it really not matter as long as your children are ready and able to handle that conversation, that's when it should be discussed. I think that in general, having conversations with your kids at the time when they're ready, at the time when they're emotionally and intellectually ready for these conversations, at the time where they're starting to be curious, it's hard to have uncomfortable conversations with our kids, and some people are better at it, and some people are worse at it, but this is part of parenting, is having the tough talks with your kids, is being unpopular, is telling your kids no, and setting limits with them, and this is part of, you know, the broader idea of setting limits with your kids, and part of the broader idea of talking to your kids about some things are not okay for kids, but are okay for adults. So how do you explain... To a, a teenager, let's say somebody's 15 or 17, something's not okay for, for children, but let's say in six months from now, all of a sudden you turn 18 or you turn 21, all of a sudden it now becomes quote-unquote okay for adults. And now that you're 18 or 21, it's okay for you. Well, first of all, it's illegal until someone's 21. That is, def- <laughs> that is definitely true. And um, providing alcohol to minors is not a small thing in terms of the legal system. People can get into a tremendous amount of trouble if they've had a party in their house where alcohol was available, even if they were not home. Um, the legal consequences are quite severe, and I think that's something you can say to kids, that, you know, this is true. Um, one of the reasons why 21 is set 
among other things, has to do with brain development. Kids' brains are continually developing, and um, they keep developing into their 20s. Among other things, the area that really continues to develop is the frontal lobe, which is the sort of the house of executive functioning. Um, executive functioning includes some things like impulse control. So impulse control is actually much harder for adolescents. It's not just that it seems that way to us. Neurologically, it's true. They are much able, much less able to delay gratification, to hold off their impulses, and to control themselves. As we know, alcohol tends to, inhibit, you know, break down our inhibitions and further, you know, um, further interfere with our impulse control. So when you take someone whose impulse control is not quite fully developed because of their age and brain development, and you add something that's disinhibiting them, it becomes quite a dangerous situation. So, Shava, so now if a parent decides themselves, you know, okay, I'm going to go ahead and have this conversation uh, with my children related specifically to alcohol, um, do you have any tips or suggestions on how or what to go about in terms of beginning this conversation? I think that if I personally think that uncomfortable and challenging conversations, um, it often helps to start with curiosity. Start with asking your kids, what are they wondering about alcohol? What do they know? What do they think they know? What have they learned from their friends or, you know, quote, unquote, on the street? And start the conversation there. See where are your kids coming from? What are they curious about? What questions do they have? And you let your kids know that ask whatever you want. It's okay. I'm not going to be upset at you if you ask a question. I'm not going to be upset at you if you tell me something. Right now we're, tra- we're having an open and honest conversation, and I really want to know what's going on for you. And would that work for older teenagers versus younger teenagers versus children who you maybe a parent wants to educate them on what other people might be doing and they might see something that might not seem okay to them which shouldn't they shouldn't be seeing but being a part of a community it's just the reality that they'll see people drinking or being around alcohol i think that starting with curiosity works at every age because what you're doing is you're starting with your child's experience you're starting with what they know so you can then tailor the conversation according to where they are. So obviously, if you have this conversation with a 10-year-old and they tell you what they know or think about alcohol or you have this conversation with a 17-year-old, the conversation will be a very different conversation, but it can start from where the kid is. And if you start from where the kid is, then you are ensuring that you're having the conversation on a level that's appropriate for your child. So many of the key, let them, so to say, lead the conversation and you more fill in the gaps and are explain things that either they don't know or are unclear to them. Absolutely. But it's not as if you're having them lead the conversation without actually having an agenda right, sure. about what you want to communicate at that time. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, you're listening to The Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad. And, of course, we're coming to you uh, Tuesday morning right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. You can catch us here every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to me, I'd love to hear from people, suggestions for different topics, uh, and or if you want to either say hello or let me know what's going on, if you want to share something 
on the air, you can email me at Ellie, E-L-I, at NachumSiegel.com. Um, and at the same time, if you're interested in contacting Ellie Sheva Diamond more about addictions and her work with the eating disorders and alcohol and other addictions, you can feel free to email her as well at Elizabeth B. Diamond at gmail.com. That's Elizabeth B. Diamond at gmail.com. Just before we continue on here, um, I actually want to thank Ellie Sheva's brother for picking all of today's music. All of it is going to be coming from Aaron Rezel. And here is another selection.
אני רוצה להיות מחובר, מחובר אליך, רוצה להיות מחובר אליך, שם. אני רוצה להיות מחובר, מחובר אליך, כל עוד אני חי, כל עוד אני נושם. רוצה להיות מחובר אל ביתי, אל ילדיי, רוצה להיות מחובר לכל פסיעותיי. רוצה להיות מחובר לתפילותיי, לדמעותיי, למילותיי. רוצה להיות מחובר לאדמתי. מחובר לנשמתי שהיא חלק ממך. מחובר לגופי שעוד ישוב לאדמה. רוצה להיות מחובר לליבי שמזרים שמחה לתוכי ללא די. פעימה אחר פעימה. אני רוצה להיות מחובר, מחובר אליך, רוצה להיות מחובר אליך השם. אני רוצה להיות מחובר, מחובר אליך, כל עוד אני חי, כל עוד אני נושם. רוצה להיות מחובר לקוצים הדוקרים, כמו שאני מחובר לפרחים המלבלבים. רוצה להיות מחובר לקולות ילדיי המתערבבים עם זרימת המים במעיינות הקרים. מחובר לכל ביס מהפרי שאתה נותן לי, להיות מחובר לכל טיפת מים שאני גומע, רוצה להיות מחובר לאיש שלא סיפרו לו עליך, ולאיש שמתפלל ודומע, מתפלל ודומע. רוצה להיות מחובר כשבני הקטן קורא לי אבא, כשאמי שואלת היכן היית בני? רוצה להיות מחובר לרגע שהחריבו את ביתך ולרגע ששאלת אותי אייכה, אייכה, אייכה הנני, הנני, הנני אבי, הנני גם כשרעש אנשים סביבי, כשאני עומד ולא יודע למה, לאן ומתי, רוצה להיות מחובר לאיש ברחוב שמבקש פרוטה אחת או שתיים, אך באמת הוא מבקש את הקרבה. ואתה רצית שיעצור דווקא אותי פה בסמטה. רוצה להיות מחובר לחלון שנשאר פתוח, לאיש האמיץ שנשאה אותו הרוח, מחובר לדמעות שזלגו מעיני אבותיי, השמחה של זה שיבוא בעקבותיי. אז אל תנתק אותי, אני רוצה להיות מחובר אליך, השם. ואם אתה מכבד אותי, אני רוצה להישאר מחובר אליך. אני רוצה להיות מחובר אליך And that was Aaron Rizal right here on the Jewish Reaction. You're listening. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachan. I'm being joined by Eli Sheva Diamond. A, uh, she's the Director of Eating Disorders Program at Chemin in Lakewood, New Jersey, and also an expert in... 
in addictions after having done an externship in the Addictions Institute uh, at St. Luke's. Um, Elishev, we've been talking a little bit about uh, parents having conversations uh, with their children about alcohol, specifically related to alcohol around uh, Purim time. But what about more that we can do as a community in terms of uh, alcohol. You know, for example, like rabbis or shul rabbis sometimes will say that they either they'll make a rule that there's no drinking at the kiddush or that you shouldn't have a kiddush during davening, especially with alcohol. But then on Purim, some rabbis will say that it's okay. Some will say that it's not. What can we do more as a Jewish community to, I guess, I guess it really comes down to education, um, but to tell people and explain to people the dangers of alcohol abuse uh, in the community? really answered your own question. It's really about education, and it's about creating a forum for open conversation, a a forum in which the community can talk openly about what's going on and the difficulties that people are having with alcohol. There used to be the sense that Jews, Jews weren't alcoholics, Jews weren't drunks. You know, in the sort of intermarriage world, one of the things that was not helping us in terms of assimilation and intermarriage was a perception that Jews made really good husbands because they didn't drink. And Jews made really good husbands because the lack of drinking really led them to be less um, angry and also less likely to beat their wives. And we can't just sit with these assumptions and say, oh, that's true, and be self-congratulatory. Jews make good husbands. Jews don't get drunk. Jews don't beat their wives. As much as we would like these things to be true, unfortunately, they're not. So it's it's a matter of educating the public about the dangers of alcohol and the importance of educating with your actions as well. Like, it's not okay for a parent to go to a kiddish, have three or four shots, and then come home and tell their kid that alcohol is bad. Right. Um, parents really need to be modeling good behavior for their kids. At the same time, it is okay to have a l'chaim occasionally. It is okay to sometimes have a shot or have a glass of wine with dinner, and when your kids ask, why can you do that and I can't do that? Well, there's not one set of rules. I think that we don't over-rely on telling kids, well, this is just the way it is, or parents are different than kids. I don't think we use that for everything when we're having conversations with our kids, but I do think that judiciously it is appropriate to tell kids there's a different set of rules. Being an adult and being a kid is not the same thing. Well, there's also, I mean, in terms of the example that you gave about having a glass of wine with dinner or having a drink when, let's say, you get home from a day of work. But there's also something to moderation, which children probably have a much harder time with. I I would think that an adult, okay, can have that one glass of wine and stop there, whereas a child, and you were talking about this earlier in terms of their development and their brain development, might not be able to control it and or stop as quickly as an adult would be able to. Absolutely. I think one of the things that we teach our kids as we're raising them is moderation. We don't take our kids to an ice cream store and a candy store and say, eat as much as you want until you get sick. Or, you know, not until you get sick, just eat as much as you want. We model for the moderation. You had your vegetables, you had your protein, you ate the healthy food that's nutritious for you and it's going to, you know, help you grow up to be big and strong. Now, if you want, you can have a treat. You can have a cookie. You can have a candy. And we model for them moderation in how we limit and 
prepare their meals and their food, but we don't just stop there. We also have to model moderation in terms of this is what everyone does. These are how us people are responsible and healthy in the world, you can enjoy a drink occasionally. Not everyone, though. If someone's had difficulties with alcoholism in the past and are predisposed genetically to be an alcoholic, that may not be available to them, which is something that came up a lot in the Addiction Institute where people would say, you know, it's not fair. Why is it that lots of other people get to have a glass of wine with dinner and that's never going to be available to me? And it's true. Mm -hmm. It's not fair. But um, it is how, that is what's real, actually. And things aren't exactly fair all the time. And so go, going, I'm sorry, I was no, going to go ahead. Just the things sometimes are fair, but they're not equal. And being fair and being equal are not the same thing. So, Ashev, going back to the Jewish community for a minute, I think that everybody would agree that alcohol tends to be more of a problem uh, on Purim because it has become such a focal point um, of the holiday itself. People just associate the two together, and it really shouldn't be. You know, even in terms of yeshivas in Israel promoting it, because in Israel the drinking age is 18, and when you go to Israel for the year, you, you legally are allowed to drink. Um, so I don't think people would argue that there is a problem in the community with alcohol specifically related to Purim. But aside from Purim, is alcohol and alcoholism and being addicted to alcohol an ongoing problem within the Jewish community? Absolutely. Anything that's a problem in the larger secular community is a problem in the Jewish community as much as we wish that it wasn't true and we wish that it wasn't so. But, in fact, alcohol is a problem in the Jewish community all the time and all year round. And it's a bigger problem on Purim because it's more accessible and you have issues with, you know, guys coming around to collect for a yeshiva or for a different tzedakah, and they go into homes to dance and be misameach for Purim and to collect money for good causes, and then the host in the house will offer them shots, regardless of their age. And that's part of our job in terms of education is to let people know that is not okay. You can offer them a piece of kugel. You can offer them a glass of water if you want to be offering them something. But you shouldn't be offering shots to guys who are riding around in a limo who are most often underage. Right. Even though... Right, exactly. When they're going around, okay, so if they're underage, they're not the ones driving, that's not the point. Obviously, drinking and driving is an entirely separate conversation and a different uh, way to, uh, to approach that at all. But even to think that it's okay to drink and don't worry, someone else is driving, that doesn't change the question. That doesn't make it any better, and it's not any better for you and or for your family and community. Absolutely. Um, you know, th- there were a couple of articles going back uh, a few years that have been coming out in a number of different uh, Jewish newspapers. I know that I came across a few that were in uh, the Jewish Star um, discussing, actually, from the Hatzalah standpoint, how terrible of a holiday Purim is uh, for them in terms of the amount of calls and Hatzalah reactions that are needed, specifically because... Um, of alcohol poisoning, and obviously we're all familiar with Hatzalah and the tremendous work that they do and being sort of vital part 
of the Jewish community, and we should not be using Hatzalah's time and resources and energies dealing with, you know, I think one of the articles talks about a 9 and an 11-year-old who were admitted to the hospital for alcohol poisoning. And that's something that we need to keep in mind of, is that there are so many other things that unfortunately are happening that we need Hatzalah to take care of and not to be focusing on problems that we're creating for ourselves. And there's got to be a little bit of a mentality of we need to do our end to prevent other people from getting hurt or from needing or from not being able to get the help that they need because of something that we're doing. Absolutely. There's no excuse for giving a 9-year-old or an 11-year-old alcohol. And there's no reason that that should be happening. And as you said, we are really preventing Hatzalah from performing other necessary and vital activities when we're tying them up with issues that are preventable. And the community needs to take responsibility for that. Hatzala is a wonderful resource that the community supports that's incredibly helpful to the community. And in order to really respect that, we need to make sure that we're preventing the kinds of things that we can prevent. And certainly, overindulging in alcohol, whether you're an adult or a child, is very preventable. And there's no reason that anyone needs to be getting falling down drunk or drinking to the point of alcohol poisoning. I mean, I'm certainly not a rabbi, but there's no rabbanim that I know that would advocate that. I, I don't think anybody would argue with that, and I think that it's it's a role that we all need to take on and take on our fair share of it in ensuring that, you know, this is a safe perm, a happy perm, an enjoyable perm, but not something that we're going to regret later on. Absolutely. Uh, so, Ellie Chef, we only have just a few minutes left. Just before I let you go, um, I just wanted to, can you give last, I don't know, parting encouragement uh, to the listeners to make sure to be safe and be smart? So, I think that to be safe and be smart, recognize what your limits are in terms of alcohol. Recognize who's watching you. So, what may have been an acceptable alcohol intake for you a couple years ago before you had kids may no longer be a good idea or might not be a good idea right now. If you have young children that you're taking care of, you need to be fully cognizant in order to watch them and take care of them and care for their needs. And this may not be the perm where you really get drunk. And if you have kids who are a little bit older, they may be watching you in a way that no one was watching you before. And do you really want your kids to see you that way? There's a difference between saying, we're going to have a good time this perm, and, you know, Daddy, Tati, Abba might have a drink because it's perm, and it's okay for him because he's an adult, and it's not okay for you because you're a child, but then limiting your intake and doing it in a way that's responsible and having the tough conversations with your kids about alcohol, about limits, about what's acceptable for adults and what's not, while still being cognizant that kids are watching what you do. And it's so important to model behavior for them because more than what you say, what you do makes such an impression on your children. I, th- I think that's exactly, that's perfectly said right there. Uh, Ellie Sheva, I want to thank you for joining me again. Once again, Ellie Sheva Diamond is the director of the Eating Disorder Program at Chemed in Lakewood, New Jersey, and an expert in addictions. And we were speaking today, of course, with Perm just uh, two weeks away about the issues and problems and uh, related topics of addiction to alcohol coming up uh, around Perm. Ellie Sheva, if I don't speak to you before, then I want to wish you and your family a Freilich on Perm, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you us. so much. This has been a pleasure.
everybody for listening to this week's Jewish Reaction presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And I want to let everybody know, again, you can expect us back here every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 on NachumSiegel.com. I want to wish everybody an enjoyable week, an enjoyable weekend, and of course, a Freilich and Perm coming up. And make sure, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Israel, 
La 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 la